Hello, and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast, your source for interviews with people from all across the tropical fish keeping hobby. I'm your host, Randy Reed. Please subscribe and check out all previous episodes on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, or AquarisPodcast.com. You can also check out additional content by following the Aquarius Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. If you like what you hear, please rate and leave a review for the show. Enjoy the interview. Today's date is Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. My guest today is Adam Till. Together with his wife, Erica, they are the owners of Arctic Lights Aquatics, a home-based business in Calgary with the aim of providing top-quality goldfish to the Canadian market. Adam is also a member of the Calgary Aquarium Society and a board member on the Goldfish Council. Adam and Erica recently volunteered at Goldfish Palooza in San Jose, California back in June of this year. So Adam, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And I am thrilled to have somebody on to talk about goldfish. This will be the uh, first goldfish-centric episode. Um, so thank you very much for taking time. Uh, you are you know, in a different time zone, not too far off from Pacific time, but uh, glad to have you on. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We're, I'm always happy to talk goldfish. And yeah, it's, uh, we're only an hour off you, so it's not too far off. All right. So my first questions for you, Adam, are going to be around Calgary. So we're not even going to start this episode sure. off and we're not even going to talk about fish. Um, I have been <laughs> to Vancouver several times for work. I've been to Toronto several times. I've been to Montreal once. Granted, that was in the wintertime. It was covered in snow and really didn't get to experience Montreal. Um, but I've never gone to sure. Calgary. So I want you to be kind of the, uh, the, the tourist uh, Bureau of, of Calgary and, you know, sell me on a visit to Calgary and just kind of what, what Calgary is all about. Sure, I can definitely do that. So Calgary is in uh, Canada, obviously. We're in the province of Alberta. We're just sort of about 45 minutes uh, east of the Rocky Mountains. And most people know Calgary mainly for either the Calgary Stampede, which is kind of our big Western festival of uh, ranching lifestyle and party madness all wrapped up into one. And then um, we've either got our proximity to Banff, Banff is sort of known worldwide as a tourist destination in the Rocky Mountains. And we've even got the, the privilege of having some pretty high class facilities here. So we, the city actually hosted the Olympics in 1988. So we've still got some of the sports training facilities and we've got Spruce Meadows if you're an equestrian and all kinds of different things. So lots to keep us busy. And uh, we really enjoy living here other than the winters, which are a little on the rough side. Oh, awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, I completely caught you off guard with that. Uh, I, I did ask you a couple <laughs> of Calgary related questions before we kick this interview off. But uh, I'm definitely very fascinated. I love hearing about, you know, people's uh, locations and locales. And, and given that I've never been there, I'm, I'm definitely fascinated. Um, Calgary Stampede, I don't know about the party aspect of it, but that sounds like it's just a good time in general. So I don't know, maybe maybe yeah. we'll see if my travels can uh, can get me up to Calgary one of these days. Well, you're, you've always got a place to stay if you need it. So we're, we're always happy to meet other fish people for sure. Dude, that's half the battle, Adam, man. I think, uh, all right. <laughs> we're definitely going to stay in touch. Sure. Then. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So let's, let's get back to the meat and potatoes. Hopefully not very many people have switched off this episode since we started talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, geography and, and cities as opposed to fish. So, so Adam, where did it all start for you? How did you get your start keeping tropical fish? For sure. Um, well, we, like many people, we, my wife and I actually both had uh, fish as we were kids, and neither of us particularly appreciated it. Um, Erica had 
uh, goldfish in a bowl that she inherited from one of her family members that she kept alive with water changes and luck for about a year. And uh, I had a tank of what I would call tropical madness, where it was a little bit of the kids got to go pick out whatever looked interesting at the pet store. And I still have nightmares about killer Australian rainbows going wild and killing everything that was wildly inappropriate to put in with them. So that's kind of where we got started a long time ago. Um, and then more recently, um, we were, I think when, when we first got married, we've been married about five years. We were at uh, a local uh, gardening center and they had these little beta aquaponics kits, which have, I don't know if they're still popular, but they were popular back then. And we said, oh, hey, we used to keep fish as kids. That sounds like fun. And so we bought one of those, killed a couple of bettas as we reacquainted ourselves with what's involved in keeping fish. And the rest has kind of been history. So we, um, I, I think I, I got started more in the Blackwater Cannon super acid water kind of side of the hobby. And then Erica sort of put up with that for about a year. And then she said, I'd really like to have some fish that aren't brown and boring and hiding all the time. So she went into the goldfish aisle and the rest is history. And now we've got 31 tanks and an outdoor pond and we have fish that seem to breed all the time. And that's kind of where we've, we've got our start. Oh, very cool. So let's take a step back and talk about, uh, you know, again, your, your childhood having these fish tanks, who in your family was the, you know, the, the reason why you guys had fish tanks or that you had fish tanks. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure I could. I'd have to go back and talk to my parents, but it was young enough that I don't think it was my idea. But uh, at the same time, my parents weren't fish keepers by any stretch of imagination either. So I think it was just sort of part of teaching kids about responsibility. We had hamsters and cats and all sorts of different things. And then the fish tanks were around for, I want to say, about a year. Um, And then it just became... I think it was too much work for my parents, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, between kids and animals and, you know, the whether they're aquatic or, you know, terrestrial animals, I mean, it does, it, it, the responsibilities start to pile up for sure. Yeah, and then, I mean, we've always had animals in the blood, so whether it's fish or we are also pretty serious horse keepers, so we, uh, we've always liked to have animals around. It's, as soon as we could afford to have it on our own, we, we definitely brought them back into our lives. Oh, very cool. So now what do both of your your, uh, parents think of Arctic Lights and what you guys have done, um, you know, with your with your passion? (laughs) Well, uh, my dad is a wastewater engineer, so he's been invaluable in, you know, plumbing in all the auto water changes and that sort of thing. And Erica's father is an electrician by trade. And so he's been very helpful on that side of things. And other than that, I think they're they think we're a little bit touched. But uh, they, they're very supportive, we're going to say, and they. Uh, I've, I think I've managed to uh, successfully convince Erica's parents that, uh, or not convince, but sort of teach them how to hatch baby brine shrimp while we're away and all that sort of thing. So they're actually very supportive. I have to give them a lot of thanks and praise. Oh, very nice. So yeah, that's definitely the recipe for uh, fish room success, right? You've got uh, wastewater, you know, kind of that that plumbing expertise uh, mixed in with the electrician on the other side. And that's like, you were going to set up a fish room and it's going to be awesome. And it's not going to cost us an arm and a leg because we're going to be able to consult with family members. So uh, good on you for uh, for kind of stumbling into that, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And then so, all right, so Erica, she, she strolls down the goldfish aisle. She sees these guys and, um, you know, falls in love. What, what were some of the first goldfish that you guys kept? Uh, well, we actually, we were a little cocky, as I think a lot happens to a lot of people. So we kept a bunch of 
sort of less demanding fish, I'm going to say. And, uh, and then she fell in love with some really interesting looking arandas. And particularly, we're, we're quite blessed to have some pretty good local fish stores. We, had, we were spoiled for choice at the time. So I think that the decision was roughly, I think we've got a 20-gallon tank at home. I think we have an extra sponge filter. I'm sure it'll work out. And it, it, from going from keeping um, very undemanding fish like Corys and Autos to going to keeping goldfish, um, even though I was a, a fan of testing and doing all the good things that you're supposed to do, they still ended up coming down sick with ammonia poisoning. And it was a bit of a school of hard knocks to learn what was involved in keeping some of the more alpha sensitive varieties of goldfish happy. So, and we've, we've definitely had more than our fair share of issues as we've imported fish and we've brought fish in from the States and done all sorts of things there. So, but we've learned quickly and life is good now. And so I guess at what point as you're going through this goldfish progression, you're, you're realizing that, you know, there, there's more to keeping these fish than what you originally thought. Um, did you start to, to make that turn towards, you know, hey, we're, we're kind of good at breeding these fish. Um, you know, sure, we've had our, our ups and downs with them, but, you know, we're, we're starting to get more than we actually want as hobbyists. Um, I, I guess, how did you decide that, you know, you wanted to form Arctic Lights um, and, and start, you know, setting up a business? Sure. Uh, for us, it's being up here in Canada, we have the, the privilege of being very close to you folks in the States where, where you have access to all kinds of wild and exotic varieties of fish, but being not quite able to get hold of them in a lot of cases. So for us, it was a little bit of meeting our own needs, where if we wanted to have access to some of these amazing fish, we would have to import them and sort of create our own lines or just wanting to share that with other people here. So, I mean, as soon as we had a couple of spawns and we had, we were able to sell the fish locally and that sort of thing. And then we had a little bit of demand and uh, particularly as we started to uh, make the effort of actually driving down to the States to bring in some breeding stock. Um, we had some, uh, quite a few people that were interested and we've actually been very lucky to start keeping some quite exotic lines of fish. So uh, it's just, at this point, we've got access to some really good fish, and it seems like a shame not to share them with other people. So it's more of a passion project than um, what I'd call a serious commercial enterprise. But we're, we're our goal is basically to make uh, some of the fish that are more available in the States just as available up here, even though shipping costs are a little bit higher, and we've got a tenth of the population in a country that's physically bigger than you folks. So. Oh, that, that's great to hear, you know, that you guys are taking that approach and you're trying to share these uh, really, really cool fish. And I guess to take a step back, um, I'm really glad to, you know, not, not to only just have you on to talk about goldfish uh, as kind of the, the first goldfish episode. But, um, you know, I, I think in our social media messenger conversations back and forth, you know, I've had some fairly serious episodes, you know, maybe the, the past three or four have been kind of, you know, conservation and you know, cares and species are all endangered. And it's just been, you know, they're very heavy, weighty subjects. And it's not that talking about goldfish isn't an important conversation. Um, but I, I think it's going to be more in the, you know, true hobbyist, fun, ornamental side of things. So um, granted, I think one of the fish that we'll talk about, there is kind of a conservation story is as odd as that sounds with goldfish. But um, I guess it's kind of an aside to the, uh, the listeners of this. This is, you know, th this is something I'm looking forward to as, you know, a conversation where we can just kind of have fun and talk about goldfish. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's where, that's what attracts a lot of people to goldfish is that it's, 
it's pretty hard to see a tank full of, say, Ranchu with big fluffy cheeks and, you know, big wiggly butts. And it's kind of hard to take yourself too seriously when you've got those swimming around in your life. So most people that come into goldfish do sort of have that attraction to, say, a, fi- a, a fish that they can tell one from the other. So you can develop more of an emotional connection with a goldfish than neon tetra number 27. But also, I think a lot of people see personalities reflected in their fish more than other breeds might allow that to happen. So um, I, I, I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I guess in your experience, have you found people to be exclusively goldfish? Um, or do you find people that, you know, dabble and they have uh, you know, uh, normal tropical fish tanks, and I say normal, kind of air quotes, you know, uh, your your Cori autosynclus tank that you referred to earlier, rainbow fish, your neon tetras. Um, to me, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and say what I think my opinion is. It seems like it's more of a line in the sand. Um, I, I don't feel like I know too many people that kind of dip their toe in both, right? You're either in the tropical fish realm, you've got your cichlids, you've got your rainbows, you've got your tetras, or you're like a goldfish person. Right. Like what, what, what's your take on that? I, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I, I'm obviously biased because I tend to keep company with breeders that are very serious and that sort of thing. And though most people have got a few peripheral fish to say, take care of culls because that's sort of the reality of being a goldfish breeder. But I think, um, I think they tend to be, it's, it's like killifish people is it sort of becomes a bit of a, a habit forming experience. And then once you've got, you know, a fun aranda, you want to see what a butterfly telescope looks like or something like that. So, and it is a little bit of a, a lifestyle adjustment too. So once you're, you've sort of made your piece with doing 50 or 80% water changes at least once a week, um, you, I think the, the, the hobby tends to sort of polarize people a little bit and not necessarily in a bad thing or in a bad way, I should say. Yeah, sure. And I mean, and I guess maybe I'm one of the people that's kind of, you know, one foot on both sides of that, uh, that line in the sand and that, you know, one of the, well, I, I've shared it with before with, um, with the audience and with previous guests that to kind of get my wife, who was the, my then girlfriend at the time, um, you know, into the hobby, I actually set up a 55 gallon, uh, fancy goldfish tank. Uh, we had a ranchu, we had, um, Oranda, we had, um, a moor, and I want to say we had a, a lion head. Um, and yeah. you know, we, we absolutely love that tank I used. Uh, so the company 3M, they produced this, um, it's like a, a decorative sand that you put in the siding of pools, um, as you're kind of, you know, God, I don't even know the terminology here, but you're just going to lay it in the, the, the surface of the pool and it gives you that nice, uh, refraction or, or whatever it is, very colorful stuff. And so, you know, we yep. use turquoise, we use this turquoise 3M pool sand stuff with fake white coral in there. And it's just like the goofiest decorated tank, but with those fancy goldfish in it, I mean, it was an absolute blast. And I love that tank. Um, and actually in my garage right now, I have a 210 gallon tank. And the plan for that is to actually have it be a fancy goldfish tank. And ideally, if my wallet doesn't just blow up on me, it, I would love to stock that sucker with ranchus. I think that would just be a amazing to just see a ball of ranchos just doing their thing and having a good time well you never know i mean if we're if we end up driving down to goldfish palooza 2019 we might have to drop some off for you on the way by oh man now we're talking now we're definitely going to stay in touch <laughs> this is awesome adam <laughs> all right so so let's get back on uh you know onto arctic lights and um let, let's talk about what are you currently breeding right now um just walk us through what your uh you know what's in your fish room Sure. Um, so at the moment, we've got uh, 
quite a few spawns going too, and which is a little bit unusual being this late in the year. But uh, as we were experiencing this year, we've had more than our fair share of uh, smoke and uh, and heat. Uh, this has been an extremely hot year up in Canada. And so our fish room has been hovering in that 78 to 81 degree Fahrenheit range, which is quite warm. Uh, it's not too bad for goldfish. So despite one of the the bigger misconceptions about goldfish being cold water fish, um, that kind of temperature is actually quite good for number one, encouraging the goldfish to spawn, but also then to get good growth out of the fry. So at the moment, we've got uh, spawns of arandas, ranchu, um, and that's both top view, which we would call a Japanese style of ranchu, and a side view or more of a Thai style of ranchu. Um, we actually had some arandas that spawned today. We've got some um, surprise babies, I'll call it. So we had a, a planted tank, which we sort of just let do its thing. And we took the fish out of there. And about a week later, I hadn't got around to breaking down the, the plants yet. And it turned out that uh, someone had spawned in there. And we ended up with about 400 babies, which we weren't sure of the parentage of. And they're now old enough that we've figured out that it was our pair of uh, chemical moors that had spawned. So we've got some amazing color coming from even an unexpected location. So, and those are the ones that are breeding at the moment. But uh, Coming up for next year, we've we've got some seriously fun lines that we've imported this year. So we've got some wonderful blue egg phoenixes, which are a very rare Chinese variety. We've got some butterfly telescopes. And then on top of that, um, as if that wasn't enough, we've also got some uh, of the Japanese style ranchy, which hopefully will be ready to spawn in the spring. So... It keeps us busy. Yeah, so there's there's a lot going on there. Um, and, and man, you just <laughs> dropped a couple things that I, I, I want to dive deep on, and I, I want to make sure I don't forget. So I guess the first would be, let's talk about top versus side view on goldfish. Um, when I think top view, I think of koi, right? You, we're, we're typically viewing koi from, you know, the top down. Uh, and goldfish, we're obviously inherently looking at them from the side because they're in a normal standard glass aquarium. Um, so I, I guess help understand why we're starting to see that. Um, or why that is in, in the goldfish, and is that a new development? Um, I would say uh, it's sort of been in response to some modern uh, um, opportunities. So, for example, the, a lot of the Japanese varieties tend to be designed to be looked at from the top down because um, a lot of traditional Japanese goldfish keeping involves pond fish. So um, a lot of people are at least familiar with um, Japanese ranchu, so they're, they're bred more for um, wen shape, which is sort of the head growth, and a tail shape, which looks very balanced and pretty, and a body length that looks pretty when viewed from, from the top. Um, they've even got some aranda varieties, which are selected like that, which most people haven't seen. Uh, but then when you, or when glass aquariums became more available, um, a lot of the Chinese breeders took the opportunity to um, either develop independently or work with Thai breeders in order to develop fish which looked a little bit better from the side. So we, when we're growing out our, our Japanese ranchu, they, they can look a little bit less balanced from the side than they would from the top, um, just from the perspective of they tend to have a longer body shape. So something that looks quite balanced from the top might look a little bit extended from the side, whereas uh, something like a Thai ranchu if you looked at it from the top, it sort of looks like a, a ping pong ball with a head and a tail on it. But looked at from the side, they're, they're more of a balanced shape there. So it really is, it's like anything to do with goldfish. It's, they're, they're so, um, 
they're so malleable that you can sort of do whatever you want with it as long as you're selecting the fry that sort of appeal to you, which is kind of half the fun of breeding goldfish. And so when you are selling a, a top side or a top view ranch shoe, what percentage of your customers are actually putting them in a pond to view from the top down? Or are they people that are going to put them in a glass aquarium um, and knowing that they are top view, but they're doing it, they're buying them just because they want the Japanese ranch shoe? Well, we actually haven't had a chance to sell any uh, top view fish. So that's one of the lines we picked up uh, this year. But I would suspect that just sort of from my experience and looking around at what people are keeping, I would say it's fairly unusual for people to choose um, that style of fish for an aquarium. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it would be certain things that are acceptable in a side view fish wouldn't necessarily, uh, or sorry, in a top view fish might not look as attractive from the side. So um it's, it's certainly, it, the, the fish don't mind. The only thing that uh, they sort of appreciate, which might hinder uh, aquarium keeping, is that traditional uh, ranchu keeping in that sort, for, for that sort of style of fish involves shallower tanks than most people want. So by the time most people are keeping goldfish and any sort of significant amount of goldfish, you might be in, say, a 75 or a 90 or a 125 or something in that range. And they're starting to get a little bit on the deep side for the tail development that a lot of people that are really into top view fish want. Whereas that's perfect for a fish that's got a big, beautiful flowing tail or something that's more designed to be viewed from the side. So that's something we can talk about too, is that um, the raising of the fish sort of does vary based off of the equipment you have available or vice versa. If you wanted to optimize growing out a particular type of fish, you might want to consider different tanks for your fish room or for your um your living room yeah i guess the reason why i ask that is you know here in the states and maybe even in canada um the right side drive cars so there's a lot of guys that like that you know imported japanese car <laughs> we don't drive on the yep. same side of the street but they just like being able to say that it's you know the right side drive it's japanese and so i wondered if any of that extended over into the uh the fish keeping realm uh, when it came to these fish. So that's why I was kind of curious if, if anybody gets the top, the top view just for the sake of the fact that it's the top view, even though they're going to put it in a glass aquarium. So if you're a hardcore goldfish person and you were shaking your, your head like, what the hell is Randy doing asking that silly question? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's probably also that for people that are looking for top view fish, that's not something you'll find in your pet store. So by the time you know that they exist, and that you've put in enough effort to go looking for them, you've usually had to reach out to a fairly specialty dealer or usually even a, like a specialty breeder. So it's not something that people would sort of wander into the pet store and walk out with because it seemed cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would have to imagine that the ranch that we had was for sure side view. I mean, we didn't get it from a big box store. We got it from one of the more uh, reputable establishments in Sacramento, California. Uh, but I obviously yeah. would have to assume that it was, a, it was, you know, all side view fish, traditional, you know, Chinese bread uh, or Chinese origin, I guess I should, I should say, uh, goldfish. Um, so on, on the subject of breeding, right? Like, I don't want you to have to spend too much time, but, you know, goldfish breeding 1A, right? So not even like the 101 level course, like the intro to the 101. So the 1A level, um, you know, kind of walk through goldfish breeding, how it may differ from some of, you know, what, what we're used to with maybe rainbow fish breeding or corridor breeding. Um, and, and I'll just let you go from there. Sure. Uh, well, for the most part, we've been blessed enough to have breed stock that we don't really have to 
induce to spawn or to sort of trick into spawning. So some of the, the trickier breeds either require a cool water period that helps the, the female fish particularly do what's called setting the eggs. So um, some varieties will require that kind of cool period where the water gets down to 50 or 55 for six weeks or eight weeks. Um, but other times the fish will spawn year round. And so particularly the fish that are coming in from Singapore or Thailand, I mean, they don't get temperatures that drop down to that range very well, if at all. So um, they've tended to produce fish that are happy to breed all day long. So in our case, all we do for the most part is we keep them well-fed. So we do have some spawning conditioning foods that we'll use that are a little higher in protein, and maybe we'll feed a little bit more daphnia or blood worms or something like that to sort of bring the, the fish into spawning condition. But other than that, we just sort of make sure that there's a spawning mop, which is made from either um, a cheerleading pom-pom, if you like the plastic varieties, or if you want something that's a little bit more homemade, it would be a yarn or a wool mop that's uh, tied around some corks. And then as soon as you see the fish chasing each other, um, you can either let them spawn in the tank, um, which we try not to do because it involves more water changes. But uh, we, we will tend to actually pick up the fish, put them in a, um, a holding bowl, and then we'll actually hand spawn them. And that actually, for us, yields more fish. So we'll, the, if we let the, the eggs develop in a little shallow spawning bowl, um, we get less fungusing and it makes it easier to um, nurture the eggs through their hatching. And other than that, I mean, the only trick that I can sort of throw out there into the universe is one that I learned from people that were breeding autos is that we don't actually use a methylene blue or anything like that on the eggs. We keep it natural and we, we keep a line of red cherry shrimp around. And the nice bit about the cherry shrimp is that if you put them into the spawning bowl, they go around and they pick the fungus off of the eggs. And for the the eggs that don't actually get fertilized, um, the hand spawning results in about a 90% fertilization rate if you're doing it well. Um, but for the 10% that, that don't get fertilized, the, the cherry shrimp will actually go along and dispose of the eggs for you. But the, the eggs harden off enough so that the shrimp don't have to, uh, or they don't have the opportunity to eat those. And they're even um, able to coexist with the fry too. So if you don't get to the, the fry for a day or two, you don't have to worry about the shrimp or the fry having any sort of poor interaction. And at that point, it's just a case of progressive feeding with different sorts of uh, foods in order to get the fry to develop properly. Wow, that is super fascinating. Um, so I, I guess first I'd want you to break down um, hand spawning. So I, sure. I, I mean, one, I would feel super scared to like even pull the fish out as they're in their normal aquarium and they're about to spawn. So you guys are actually taking these fish out, you're putting them in bowls and you're doing this hand spawning, right? And for a moment there, I thought you were going to tell me that you were just all el natural because I know I've seen pictures online of like, you know, people handling spawning goldfish. And so, but to hear you say that you actually do that is awesome because I want you to talk about it. So go for it. Sure. Yeah, it's it's not the most um, gentrified activity that you could involve in, but it's uh, all it all it involves. Yeah, particularly for fish that we keep, we don't tend to keep any of the the single-tailed fish. We've got one or two that we keep for fun, but for the most part, they're sort of what we would call the fat and happy varieties. So they're not hard to catch, and they they don't object too much to being handled. But really, all it's involved is you you get a large tray of water, say from the dollar store, 
you have about a, an inch worth of water that you keep from the main tank and you put that in there and then you have a, your fish in a bucket. You get very good at recognizing the males from the females. So it's just one of those things that as a breeder, you sort of develop an eye for. People have talked about uh, being a chicken sexer where people that raise hens start to be able to sex their fish or sex their chickens in that case without really being able to explain why. And for a large part, we're, we're sort of that way with our goldfish. And then the, really the only trick is uh, you have to make sure that the boys go first um, because you've only got about 20 seconds uh, of exposure once the females express the eggs before they harden off and that you're not able to fertilize them. But other than that, so you, you sort of turn the, the fish over and you gently rub their belly from sort of uh, pectoral fin or from, yeah, from their pectoral fins backwards. And if they're ready to spawn, the, the females are nice and round and plump and the eggs come out with only sort of mild pressure. So no more than you'd really, if you're not squeamish, the pressure that you'd be willing to put on your eye is not usually any more than you have to, to put on the belly's fish. And then my, my wife's favorite trick is that you grab the males at the end and then they, they sort of wiggle their tails trying to get free. And that, that's uh, the way you stir everything up together. Wow. <laughs> this is, that is <laughs> awesome. Is there, I mean, is there any Barry White or Marvin Gaye playing in the background or anything like that? Do you dim the lights at all? I or? think it would cross the line into creepy at that point <laughs> if we did that. So, <laughs> so what was like the, your first experience doing this? Like, how did that go down? Are you watching YouTube videos? Did you have like some sensei with you that, you know, is kind of <laughs> guiding you through this process? Like what, how do you, how do you even start doing this? Sure. Uh, well, because we're out here in Canada, we don't have a whole, I mean, we've got a good uh, local club, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of off on the, the bleeding edge of goldfish breeding here. Um, but we, you know, we talked to some folks, to some of our mentors um, that we uh, communicate with online from the Goldfish Council and some good folks down there. But ultimately, you can read as many articles as you want and watch as many videos as you want, but eventually you just have to give it a go and the first time is terrifying and everything else after that just becomes, starts to become routine. So basically as long as you're respectful to the fish and you're, you don't try and force something to happen. Um, a lot of times they'll, they'll chase each other, but um, they're not ready to breed. And at that point you just sort of abort ship and put everybody back and no harm done. Wow. Super cool, man. That is, that is really, really fascinating. I don't, I don't know how many people out there in a fish club can raise their hand. If you ask them, Hey, who here who's has done the hand spawning uh, of goldfish? Um, when you, your first time doing this, I would have to assume that you were doing this on fairly inexpensive goldfish. Like you weren't doing this on, you know, you're, you're betting the farm on this breeded stock that you brought in from, you know, from Japan or anything, right? Like we're, we're doing this on some cheaper fish. No, <laughs> we, we actually, uh, it's funny. We ended up, uh, I'm not sure what everybody considers to be expensive fish at this point. Cause everybody's got their own reference point, but, uh, no, the first fish that we sort of bred intentionally were, um, specially imported from Thailand. So they were not extremely expensive fish, but we also wouldn't have wanted to damage them. I'll say. Wow. Gutsy. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go back and also talk about the cherry shrimp thing. Like, is that something you learned on a forum or just through Goldfish Council, or was it purely an accident um, where you stumbled upon this? Uh, I actually was quite serious about breeding autosynclus uh, when I first kind of got back into the hobby. So after we killed and apologized to a bunch of bettas, um, I fell in love with, with autos, and because I tend to take things to an extreme, I decided I was going to breed autos. 
And in talking to one of the few people that had managed to do it successfully and repeatedly, that was actually one of the tricks that he used. So he kept um, a whole bunch of different sorts of neocardinia um, in the same sort of water. And up here, um, we've got a, a line of, of neos that we've been sort of working with for about three years that are, you can pretty much do whatever you want with them and they'll take a licking and keep on kicking. And so we, we gave it a go. And the nice bit is if you don't have eggs going fungusy on you, because we've got these fairly, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there might be a quarter of a gallon of water in there. Um, if you let eggs go fungusy in there, uh, you can get nitrate spikes and things that will damage the, the little fry. So whereas if you have the, the cherry shrimp in there, they'll take care of the eggs. You don't have to worry about methylene blue, which um, I don't know of any side effects from using it, but also most breeders will tend to say as soon as you get fish that uh, hatch, you want to get the methylene blue out of the water as quickly as you can. And that just doesn't become an issue if you if you don't have to worry about chemicals. And we do try and limit our use of of sort of chemicals as much as we can, just because um, there's a lot of deworming and quarantining that goes into getting goldfish really healthy. And that's another thing we can talk about sometime. But uh, the cherry shrimp are just sort of a, a natural alternative to having to worry about uh, changing water or using additives. Wow. And so, so autosynclus, uh, goldfish, um, I mean, any other egg scattering, egg, you know, uh, whether it's in a mop, I mean, anytime you're gathering eggs, do you think the cherry shrimp could maybe apply to other species and, and uh, uh, genus of fish as well? I don't see why not. Uh, particularly anytime uh, you're not able to leave the fish to sort of raise their own young, which is most egg scattering fish, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I would maybe try it with something like a neon tetra or something where the egg's really, really small, but... Um, that's also just a gut feel. So I think really there's, uh, if you've ever had the chance to handle, say, fertilized cori eggs, they tend to be quite tough. Whereas if you're trying to scrape them off, the, if you're trying to scrape an unfertilized egg off the glass, say if your coris lay on the glass, um, they'll often tear just because they don't have that um, that fertilized shell. Right, right. Um, and really once, once they've been fertilized, they, that's nature's way of hardening them off against uh, any sort of other intrusions. So it's actually, I don't see why it wouldn't be applicable to anybody that wanted to try it. Wow, that's super cool. So this is a huge, cool little nugget for people that uh, are like, eh, I guess, you know, begrudgingly, you know, they'll, they'll check out a, a podcast episode on uh, on goldfish. Try out, uh, throw some neocaridina in if you're doing any type of, uh, you know, breeding, spawning with uh, any egg scatters. So very cool tip. So Adam, why don't you no. spend, spend a little bit of time talking about the blue egg phoenix for us? Sure. Uh, that's actually one that we feel very privileged to, to have in our collection. Um, we were lucky enough that uh, a fellow breeder out east um, had some available this year, and we were able to get uh, eight to start out our own room. Uh, and that's, it, it turned out to be a bit of a, a fortunate event, too, because the, the gentleman who was nice enough to, to share them with us actually had some issues with heat of his own. So, uh, there, there's not many of us that actually keep them. And the, the story of them coming to North America is actually quite fun because historically um, they're, a lot, or they're a color variety of what's called an egg fish. And the egg fish are one of the first really highly selected varieties that came out of China. And I don't quote me on this, but I, I believe that the, the blue phoenix was one of the few that was reserved for, um, for royalty there. So, 
during some of the cultural revolutions that they had over there, uh, a lot of these lines actually ended up being lost or they were um, damaged quite heavily. And it, it was actually part of a cultural exchange between uh, a Chinese group and an American group that happened um, a few decades ago, I think at this point, where one of the heritage varieties of American fish, which is called the um, the blue or Philadelphia blue veil tail, I believe, uh, was the one that the American group provided, and then the Chinese group reciprocated with these blue eggs, egg phoenixes, and they're they're a stunning uh, fish that most people probably haven't even heard of. So I I know I fell in love with them the first time I saw them. And if you visit the Goldfish Council website, you'll you'll notice that the the logo is actually a phoenix. So they they was they kind of got shared around to some senior breeders when they first came over, and um, most people that have had them say that they're they're wonderful fish to to keep. Um, they're they're a very very small gene pool, so you have to be very selective in terms of what of a fry you keep in order to get good backs and that sort of thing. But they're they're basically a dorsal-less fish, so like a ranchie doesn't have a dorsal fin, neither do these guys. But instead of having a more compact tail, they've got a really long, flowing, beautiful blue tail. And if you see them in a in natural sunlight, they do actually look blue. It's it's more of a, a kind of a gray color indoors sometimes, but uh, if you see them in natural light, they're they're breathtaking. Yeah. So to to add a little bit to this, I mean, usually with with most most guests, I like to to watch any of the presentations that they may have done, or um, you know, a, a presentation on kind of the the subject that we will talk about on the podcast episode. And so for this this particular episode, I, I know personally that my goldfish game is not very strong. Um, so I watched one of the the past presentations for Greater Seattle Aquarium Society. Uh, that's a free plug. Just join the club, and then you'll actually have access to our whole archive of all the past speakers that we have. Or like 90% of them and there's a treasure trove of amazing fish presentations on there so even if you're in Maine even if you're in Calgary join the GSAS um, and you'll get access to that video and it's well worth I think our, our measly $20 annual membership fee um, every year just to get access to that so all that being said, I watched a, a goldfish presentation from, I think, uh, mid-2000s, uh, and the gentleman talked about the Blue Egg Phoenix, and what he had said is that um, that was a line that was specific to one of the Chinese emperors, and during a cultural mm -hmm. revolution, uh, that emperor was overthrown, and they then killed that entire, um, all of the fish, all of that blue egg phoenix that was in his possession because it was like a thing of power, right? The fact that he had this fish uh, and the goldfish is so revered in their culture that they they killed them all um, and we thought that they were lost, right? Everybody thought that the blue egg phoenix, no more. Um, what he, this gentleman had said is that years later they found out that a monastery actually had some of these in one of their ponds. And I guess everybody had just forgotten about it. Um, and so that's how they rediscovered the Blue Egg Phoenix. And at least I hope it was the Blue Egg Phoenix. I mean, it'd be really crazy if it was a second uh, goldfish as well in China that had the same kind of history. Um, but, you know, to, to what you're saying, Adam, the rest is kind of history. And now it's been shared around. And, you know, you have this opportunity to to help out with this, with this fish. And again, now we're starting to get back towards that, oh, man, we need to help out conservation kind of side of things, which it's, it's still really important. It's still really cool. But it's, it's interesting to know that that also still kind of exists in the goldfish hobby yeah for sure and i mean i know that you're involved with a lot of the, the conservation programs for more i'll say natural varieties or wild types but there is sort of an equivalent in the goldfish world with some fairly exotic lines that don't have um, a huge distribution 
Well, yeah, I mean, well, just a history like that, right? I mean, this fish goes back several hundred years, um, you know, and, and was owned by a, a Chinese emperor. He claimed it to be his breed. I mean, you know, there's there's still some 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 rich human history, um, cultural history tied up with these fish. So it's hard to kind of turn a blind eye and just say, well, you know, just because they're not a natural fish that we can, you know, kind of up and forget about them. But, you know, that's it's kind of turning our back on history a little bit, I feel. For sure. All right, so let's talk about um, what else do you have going on with uh, Arctic Lights? Um, anything, anything big planned in the future for you guys? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our involvement with the fish side is definitely enough to keep us busy. But you know, one of our bigger efforts is actually to sort of provide a little bit more of a balanced view of some of the information that's floating around on the internet. So that's that's actually an initiative that we really share with the Goldfish Council. So our our involvement with the Goldfish Council has really been um, to not only share information to the public and between breeders, but also to get people a little bit more involved in person. So the Goldfish Council likes to really encourage people to come out and actually talk to each other in person as opposed to just on forums. Because it, it's amazing what you do find when uh, you actually talk person to person, and particularly when you get to to speak to some folks that maybe don't have a huge internet presence. Because one thing that we did find when we were sort of getting back into goldfish is that a lot of the information that might be shared online, either in forums or on uh, websites that are built more by people that might be just repeating what they've heard, is that it gets to be a little bit of a game of telephone tag. So sometimes the information might mean well, but if you start digging into the origins of some of the the things that are being said, it can be a little bit distanced from the truth. So what we like to be able to do um, is to provide sort of hard researched or experienced information um, just to sort of provide a little bit of a balance against some of the more traditional but less fact-based things that are floating around on the internet. And maybe a good example of that might be the people that are terrified of feeding floating fish to their, or floating foods to their goldfish because they're worried that they're going to get swim bladder issues. That's not actually something that is a problem, but yet, you know, even to the point of Hikari did a presentation at the Goldfish Council or the Goldfish Palooza event where Chris Clevers, the, the president of Hikari came out and said, we have documented researched uh, data that says that there is no link between floating foods and goldfish developing swim bladder issues, but they've actually developed entire lines of sinking food specifically because that's what people want. So our efforts are, are going to be more on providing that information that people can come back and reference to. And we're not saying we're the, the source of all truth, but we're trying to provide information from experience rather than information that maybe was, you know, one website repeating another or something to that effect. Yeah. And I think just the forum effect, right? So you, you Google something, you know, with, a, you know, what is or how does or any, any of these questions and you're inevitably going to get forum responses, right? You're going to get linked to threads. And unfortunately, you know, the Goldfish Council and other, other you know, people may be able to help dispel that, you know, the president of Hikari coming out and saying that, you know, scientifically research-based, this doesn't hold true. Those posts are always going to exist, right? So you're always going to have to, to yeah. battle the ever-present, you know, presence, if you will, of those posts that are that are disseminating this mm, erroneous, inaccurate information. Um, unless, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe the forum goes under, or a moderator decides to go in and, and clean that up because it's just, you know, not true or it's unsubstantiated. 
Yeah, and it's they're, most of the time they're not things that necessarily hurt people. So, for example, if you never feed your your goldfish floating foods in its life, it's never going to suffer. But it's just sort of reducing the mental effort involved in keeping some of these fish, because really the whole point of this should be that we enjoy what we're doing and we're out there because we're having fun. And as soon as it becomes work, or as soon as it becomes very difficult to do, it's less fun. And for a hobby that you know involves quite a bit of work, it, it's incredibly rewarding, but it fundamentally isn't a, a non-labor intensive hobby. We do want to make sure that people aren't worried about things that they don't necessarily have to worry about. Well, in the days of pre-internet forum, how did we get our information? You either you know went to your fish club or you went to an expert in a subject or you went to a library and you purchased a book, right? And, and if you're gonna, mm-hmm. if somebody's gonna go through the effort of actually publishing a book, um, getting it out in circulation, they're more than likely, right? And I'm sure there's gonna be some exceptions, but they're more than likely going to be an expert on the subject. There's going to be a lot of research that was done. But, you know, one of the, the, the side effects, one of the curses of the Internet and, and the forum message boards is that it's just so easy to disseminate bad information. So it really is um, kind of a, an exercise, a, a gymnastics routine of trying to find the good information out there. Um, you know, the tropical fish hobby, I'm sure, is not alone. I'm sure iguana keepers and parrot keepers and, you know, every every hobby, every facet out there has to deal with this where because it's so easy to go on, make a profile and post bad information or misinformation to a message board um, to have to go back and, and counteract that or to go through and do your research and try to filter through, do I believe this post and these people that are posting? That person's got a lot of posts associated to their name, so maybe they are right. Maybe they're wrong. So it's good to hear that a body like the Goldfish Council is going through at least for your section of the hobby to try to clarify, to try to make things easier for experienced or new goldfish keepers. Yeah, for sure. And and I find it's particularly rough in the goldfish side of things. Uh, not to say that, you know, we, any any fish lover really does truly care about their fish, but it seems like goldfish people or anybody that has the opportunity to interact with a fish where you you know it almost to the level of its personality. So, you know, a good example might be, um, you know, Corey with Murphy, his, his big puffer there. Anytime you're able to sort of develop a relationship with a fish, just by definition, you end up becoming invested there. So I find that when people have problems with their goldfish, they really do take it very, very personally. And interestingly enough, I mean, I don't want to necessarily bring gender into things, but we do see that this is one aspect of the hobby where there's quite an equal balance between men and women, just because um, you've got all sorts of different reasons why you might be coming into goldfish. And it's kind of fun because uh, in, in other areas of the hobby, it can, it can be a little bit more divided, I'll say. In, in terms of like maybe African just, cichlid keeping is more male dominated where you find a more equal balance of the genders in goldfish? Yeah, exactly. And and it, it's kind of fun because you do get all sorts of different perspectives that way, too. So, well, yeah. And what we found, too, just in, in being able to offer fish for sale is that, uh, you know, everybody comes in there with a different um, a different motive for being there. And people can really enjoy fish for a variety of different reasons. You can get really involved in the technical side of breeding or you can just really fall in love with keeping an animal that you 
you know, can, you can greet at the tank side every every morning when you go to feed them. No, I mean, I think that's a really fair observation to call out. I mean, like like I said earlier in the show that, you know, how I got my, my now wife into the hobby or to make, you know, to, to share it with her more was to set up a fancy goldfish tank. Why? Because she didn't want African cichlids. She didn't want a Frontosa tank. She didn't want, um, yeah, maybe she might have wanted a Cardinal, t- Cardinal Tetra tank, but she, she really wanted a fancy goldfish tank. And I don't know what it is about the fancy goldfish as opposed to some of these other fish um, that, you know, the, the fair sex, if you will, and be upset that I use that terminology, that, that women <laughs> tend to gravitate more towards a goldfish tank. And I'm sure there's obviously vast exceptions out there. Um, I don't think Shelby Bush or Heather Burke, who I've had on the show, I don't, I don't know if they keep goldfish or not. Ladies, if you do, let me know. Um, but, the, you know, women like fancy goldfish. I don't know. Maybe I'll go up and ask my wife after we get done recording this what it is about the fancy goldfish and... I'll get back to us and see what she says and then do, do the same with Erica, see what she, see what her response is. Oh, I can already tell you. I mean, that Erica went from sort of being very supportive of my hobby to this becoming our passion together um, as soon as Goldfish came home. So she, she enjoys their, their personalities and to the point of, you know, I, I had never contemplated taking fish on a four hour or eight hour round trip to the vet for, problems that we've encountered because our closest aquatic vet is in Edmonton, which is a four hour drive away. Yes. Uh, But you know, the second that she has a problem, she, she's up there even before I realized there was a problem. So. Yeah. So let's, let's actually close with that. Let's, uh, you have on your about us, uh, part of the website, uh, I think it's under Erica's bio section, uh, ask her about the $750 vet bill. Is that Canadian or us for one of our $5? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 750 Canadian vet bill for one of our $5 pet store fish when you meet her. So she's not on right now, but Adam, I want you to go ahead and share that story with us. Sure. That's a, that's a good one to finish off of. And, Anybody ever follows us on Instagram, you'll be able to see the, the saga of a fish called Paste. And uh, we, we named her Paste because she's kind of that little kid at the back of the class that eats Paste and happily keeps to themselves and maybe not the brightest in the world, but is certainly a, a sweet little soul. So one of our, one of our uh, a group of fish that we, when we first started, I'll say seriously keeping goldfish, we decided okay, we're going to go out and get a group of eight uh, young fish and we're going to learn how to raise them. So we bought them as young as we could and uh, they all developed in, at different rates and with different appearances and all that sort of thing. And our poor little fish there was definitely the runt of the litter. So she, she looked a little bit small in, the, in the, the juvenile tank, but she was the only black fish in there at the time. So I said, well, heck, why not? And as she grew up, uh, she started to have buoyancy issues. And so we went through the whole range of trying to figure out whether it was feeding or whether it was a bacterial infection or all the different things that you do when a goldfish has got a swim bladder issue. Uh, but fundamentally, it, it wasn't getting any better. And so uh, about two years in, she really started to struggle to the point where she was floating at the surface of the tank. And we actually even had to start... Uh, keeping the tank filled all the way to the lid so there wasn't even an air gap there just so that her her tail end wouldn't be out of the water and she was starting to get contact infections uh, either from air exposure or where she was rubbing against the, the lid. And so Erica did a lot of research and eventually figured out that uh, one of the few things that might help a fish like that is what's called a swim bladder aspiration surgery, which is basically a, a very fancy term for taking a needle sticking that needle in the swim bladder, 
removing a bit of the air from the swim bladder and hopefully allowing the fish to sort of attain a more neutral buoyancy where they're actually able to to control whether they, they float or sink. But unfortunately, the, the closest place that was willing to do this was four hours away. So she dutifully, you know, got our, we got our little goldfish transportation bait bucket, which is a, you know, a fishing bait bucket with a portable air bubbler. And we loaded everybody up and headed over to Edmonton. And it, she went through this surgery where, uh, first of all, she was so tiny and she was only maybe two inches nose to tail. And that's, that's not a big fish at three years old almost. And they put her through a round of x-rays. So they, they put her in a little Ziploc baggie and they hold that in front of the, the x-ray machine. And Erica got a kick out of that because that's what she does um, for her, her day job is that she's a, she does x-ray and uh, CT work. So she got to see what the pet equivalent of that was. And once they did the x-rays, they actually figured out that she had a physical deformity where most goldfish have what a front and a rear swim bladder. And it's sort of, they're regulating the difference between the air in the front and the back allows them to allow, uh, attain both a, a level buoyancy, but also a, a sort of a sinking in or floating buoyancy. And she didn't have the front swim bladder. She just had a really large rear swim bladder, which sort of explained why she would be vertical most of the time, but also it was half of her poor little body there. So the vet, uh, praised us for not trying a YouTube solution because we if we had tried to use some of the landmarks that YouTube was showing us, we would have done quite a bit of damage. Um, but they, they put her under and they, they ran, they have to run an anesthetic solution through the gills while they're doing the surgery. Uh, they removed a little bit of air. Um, and then we got to bring her home with a seven day treatment of subcutaneous antibiotics, which is a, again, a fancy word for, give your fish seven needles, making sure not to try and pry off too many scales. Because when you give a, a fish an injection, you have to try and go underneath the scale without exerting enough force to actually pry the scale off the body. So I'm proud to say that we were, I think we were five out of seven successfully, and she only lost two scales in the process. But uh, she made it through, and uh, after a couple of bumps and bruises, it actually ended up sticking. So there was there was about a two-week period where she regressed and we thought, oh gosh, we've spent all this money and gone through all this pain and suffering, both all of us with no result. But uh, she's been about six or seven months now where she's still vertical, but she's able to to bumble around the tank. And she's, she's our only goldfish that we can happily keep with a, a thriving colony of cherry shrimp because she's completely and utterly incapable of chasing them down. So well, and that's the story of the $750 surgery on the $5 goldfish. Wow, Adam, that is that is some absolute <laughs> dedication. And and right there so so if if I were like right now in the market to actually plop down some money and buy some goldfish, like that level of commitment for your goldfish, to me that has got to be like the one of the marks of these guys are serious. They love their fish. They're going to drop 750. Like I don't even know what is the 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 times. Like that is I don't know, like 10,000 times the value of the actual goldfish to, to save this fish and to hear that it's still doing well, like that is such a huge selling point uh, to wanting to purchase from you and to do business with you um, and your commitment to the hobby and to your fish that you have. So, I mean, that is that is awesome, Adam. Oh, well, thank you very much. I mean, there's definitely, there there are some difficult decisions that you sometimes have to make as a breeder, but those decisions are completely and totally non-applicable to the fish that are labeled as family as opposed to um, 
livestock, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I understand. And so let, let's leave the people with uh, how can we get a hold of you? You know, give us your social medias, give us your, uh, your business contacts, anything you'd like to plug. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. So we're, we're pretty easy to find. So as long as you can spell Arctic, we're at Arctic Lights Aquatics. Unfortunately, we uh, chose a domain name that most people either like to say acrylic lights or they forget an R, but uh, usually Google can find us. So at arcticlightsaquatics.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and we're hoping to revive our YouTube channel at some point. But honestly, our, our biggest focus is on providing you know, really in-depth, heavy-duty articles there that are able to help people solve their problems. So as much as we'd like to sell people fish, we'd also really like it if they would uh, have the information that they need to keep their fish as healthy as they can, whether it's from us or from anybody else. Fantastic. Yeah. So if you're in Canada, definitely check you out as far as uh, your livestock available, um, fish available rather. Can you ship to the U.S.? Uh, We might be able to, but we're probably not going to try for a while. So we're, we've actually been selling most of our fish locally because we've been either supplying pet stores or just local demand, but we are definitely shipping uh, Canada wide uh, starting this month. So we've, we're all set up to do that. Um, and if there is demand in the States, we're, we're not opposed to it, but there are some definite uh, border issues and, and laws that might come into play there. So, but we've definitely, uh, you know, in the spirit of working with even our competition and uh, other other uh, vendors in the hobby, we've helped other people figure out what's involved in, you know, American companies shipping up to Canada and and vice versa too. Because really, it's it's in everybody's best interest to have the hobby grow, and and we're just looking to provide people with a whole bunch of different options. Uh, very cool, Adam. That is fantastic. And so, if you're in Canada, definitely, and you're in the uh, goldfish market, check out. Arctic Light Aquatics, um, see what they have available. And if you're in the U.S., just ping Adam and say, hey, I want, I want some of your fish. When are you going to make this happen? And just, you know, build build up that demand. Um, I will have the links to your website, to your Instagram, Facebook, and your YouTube as well, just so people have that at the ready. Um, subscribe, check them out, follow them, do all that good stuff. Um, I, you know, I've perused some of your YouTube that you have on there and, and some of the articles, or at least your website, what the content that you have there. Um, really, really good stuff. Looking forward to all the other things that you're going to put on there. And again, as I, if I end up going with a ranch you take, I definitely think I, I want to go fancy gold fish maybe not ranchu maybe lionhead i don't know ranchu would be awesome but i'm <laughs> definitely going to stay close to your website so that um i can become a much better um well more uh, more informed goldfish keeper well we're happy to help out in any way we can excellent so adam thank you very much again for being on the aquarius podcast i really enjoyed our conversation you have a great night sir thanks you too i enjoyed it myself thank you again for listening to the aquarius podcast as always get involved in your local fish club help grow this wonderful hobby, and have fun with other fish nerds.